Thank you for joining the Zen Care Podcast. These recorded Dharma talks are given freely to our community in the heart of New York City, which we are honored to now share with you. New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care is dedicated to transforming the nature of care through contemplative practice by meeting illness, aging, and death with compassion and wisdom. Learn about us at zencare.org. It's a beautiful morning. I wonder how many of us are here this morning. <laughs> Today is the 18th day of our commit to sit practice period. And Uchiyama Roshi writes this. He says, impermanence, shogyo, mujo, means that every living thing dies. In other words, everything that has life loses life. Moreover, no one, least of all the living thing itself, knows exactly when its life will end. Life has a limit, and it's always in a state of uncertainty. This is the first undeniable reality. In typical Uchiyama Roshi fashion, very clear. He doesn't mince words. But how do each of us really enter into Shogyo Mujo and really practice it? Not the idea of impermanence, but actually appreciate it that moment by moment, this is it. What are we waiting for? Many people think that Buddhism or Zen's approach to an emphasis on impermanence is very depressing. People find impermanence depressing. It's so curious in that it's the one thing we can completely count on. And it's the one thing for at least 2,600 years we have moved away from. not wanted to enter. You know, we have Ajax the cat, who at five years old died. Mm -hmm. 
Maddie, Shishin's dog, Brian, and Dina, all who have recently died. Dina had the pleasure of speaking to a couple days ago, right before she died. She said, wow, wow, it's really happening. And we have an ancestor altar to remind us, yeah, people die. Even amazing teachers like Kuriosaka. He dies too. No one can escape. So what are we waiting for? That's why the whole waiting thing is so strange. We wait to take things seriously. We wait to really enjoy and to be free from all of our delusions that actually keep us from fully inhabiting where we are. So much so, we're so into these delusions that we don't even realize where we are. And we can struggle the whole time, waiting for the optimal experience. How can you and I be in a court with this undeniable reality. How do you let it pop and realize you only have a certain amount of breaths? We will only wake, as far as I know, a certain amount of times in the morning. And yet we wait. We wait and wait. So curious. And so sad. Some weeks ago I was with uh, family and one person was dying and they called Choda and I to be there. And so we went and and the woman who was dying, she was having a big experience. She was like going in and out of 
what she described heavenly realms and hellish realms. Kind of like what we do. And she said, it's so surprising because I didn't realize that I even felt that way, that there was like a heaven realm and a hell realm. She was so surprised. But we were just talking about how we really do go into those realms all the time. And that she talked about that mostly her hellish realm she tried to avoid. And she thought that maybe at this time is that's what makes her struggle. And perhaps why she struggled for so long. Because she didn't invite a whole half of her life into her life. She wanted one half. The kind of nice feelings. As opposed to just what she was feeling. And I thought... How normal. But when faced with impermanence, and to me the joy of impermanence, is that we can let our hearts be ripped open. And really just experience what we're experiencing while we're experiencing it. Maybe even being right here. Some of you are here. Some of you are in some thoughts about being here. And we can live our lives like that. No problem. But to me, the beauty of this practice is coming back into the heart and just experiencing what I'm experiencing while I'm experiencing it. Experiencing the pain in my knee right now. Twisted it the other day. doing hop-ups in the gym. And being interested in what that feels like. Instead of waiting for it to feel better, to actually experience what I'm experiencing while I'm experiencing. There's a case in the Book of Equanimity, case 89, it's called Tozon's No Grass. And it starts with the way that most of the koans in this collection start with attention. 
an exclamation point. Attention. And I think it does that for a reason. Because we're mostly falling into some thoughts about what we're experiencing. Master Tosan addressed the assembly saying, it's the beginning of autumn and at summer's end. My brothers, some of you will go east and some will go west. But straight away, go to a place where there's no grass for 10,000 li. After a pause, he said, but for such a place where there is no grass for 10,000 li, how can you go there? Later, Master Sikiso said, go out the gate and there's grass. And Master Tayo later said, don't go out the gate. There's grass everywhere. And that's the koan. Later, Robert will explain it to all of us. <laughs> in depth. <coughs> what is this all about? No grass for 10,000 li means that there's no grass anywhere. Three li to a mile. So 10,000, 30,000 miles. No grass. Grass is often thought of in Zen and used in Zen literature for, to understand delusions. So he's saying, go straight away to a place where there's no grass for 10,000 li. What would that be like to go to a place where there's no delusion, you're not caught by your delusions? And you can pick your delusion. Some of us have our favorites about how we're different from other people, how we won't be understood. A popular one is how hard it is to practice, which is just another delusion, a way to interpret and move away from our experience. making a big deal about our experience. As if it's not happened in the world before. So curious. But no one sits in this room if they're not struggling with something and actually wanting in some way to turn towards it. Where is there no grass? And how do we cultivate a practice where we're not caught by the grass? 
caught by our delusion. To me, the only way to do that is just to keep returning to our hara, coming into the softness and trusting that. Because even our delusions are impermanent. For a long time, I was so sure that I was so different and that nobody would understand me. And that's why I didn't really commit to a teacher and a practice for a long time. Because I was sure that even that wouldn't, that wouldn't work. I was always waiting for the optimal situation. When my grandmother was dying, you know, when I was taking care of her, she, her biggest regret was that she said, you know, what was I waiting for? Many people spend their entire lives waiting for optimal circumstances. To me, the beauty of this koan is to really experience our true self and remain undisturbed both inside and outside. But to me, the only way to really do that is to really look at our disturbances and really penetrate those disturbances and see their impermanence, in case that's not clear. And that's not easy to do. And yet, totally possible. To be undisturbed by what's outside means to see the impermanence of outside. Even the earth itself will not last. Whatever your feelings are about. It's so amazing that even the Milky Way galaxy will not last. And then we worry about our little lives and worry about that impermanence. But so the point of this koan is also saying, like, how do you also really see the impermanence of all things? How everything is arising and falling.
And to not see the grass as inside is to also look at how we separate ourselves from that reality. Our sadness, our grief, our joy, whatever it is. What other weird treasure you keep inside yourself? We all have some weird treasure of our own particular suffering. what they're really about. At one point, I thought they were very interesting. <laughs> and even that is impermanent. <laughs> and to me, the, like, to be in the flow of that and not to be so attached even to what we think we're going to say when we're in an encounter is very freeing. Oh, that was an idea. In fact, pages and pages of ideas that are no longer alive. Even though two hours ago I was like, hmm, interesting. And now, not interesting. But to me, the, the beauty of the practice is to have that kind of spacious attitude <clears throat> and really trust our direct experience. Or one of our Sangha members, Randy, he was saying, you know, I think really it's really about experiencing experience. And he thought that was a very funny expression love that expression. Experiencing your experience. Noticing if you're going off somewhere and come back. So that you can experience your experience. My friend Joseph says, you know, his basic meditation instruction always is sit and know you're sitting. And that basic instruction is so that whatever you're doing, talk and know you're talking. Breathe and know you're breathing. It's so kooky that we don't do that. where you're living. Impermanence 
in the Pali, it's called anika, is one of the basic teachings of Buddhism. It's what set the Buddha free. And the Buddha said that everything is marked by that. And he also added that the other two marks are suffering. to do is thoroughly practice with no self, not clinging to who you are, impermanence, and realize that there is suffering in the world. And to me, it's like, how do you invite all three of those in? Those are the three dependables. You can completely count on those arising. And if you don't, in my experience, we spend our life fleeing from them, being afraid of them. Because we all just basically know that that's just how it is. It's nothing fancy, really. No great mystery. And that's why sitting and know you're sitting and actually inhabiting our experience is so amazing. But if we're constantly in discourse in our head, it's very difficult to penetrate reality. and pages. <laughs> a Dharma friend of mine made me this and uh, because her dad uh, used to like using it when he was giving talks. And she put a skull on it that she carved. And to me, sitting while we're sitting becomes very clear because like in every moment we don't know we don't know if we are going to last. Ah. So can I be here? 
After spending a lot of time in the emergency room for several years, when I was training as a chaplain, I met so many people at all ages who were very surprised that things had really changed drastically. And to me, it was like the incredible learning about impermanence in all different ways. Archoto and I often call it the six feet under moment because uh, at the beginning of this show called Six Feet Under, it was so amazing. If you haven't seen it, you have to really watch all of it. <laughs> it's about this family that works in a nursing home, runs a, not a nursing home, a funeral home. And the beginning of every episode is like somebody dies in a different way. And somehow, like, one of my favorites was, like, this woman, like, mowing her lawn or something, and, and something drops out of a plane and kills her, you know. And you just don't know. As Uchiyama Roshi says, we just don't know how it's going to end. So really what we have to do is how are you going to live? That is what we actually, we can't control the end. But we can live by vow and really moment by moment really wake up to actually how do you want to live until that happens? Because you don't know when your six feet under moment is going to happen. It could happen now. I often think of the man who waited until he retired and then he and his wife were like, now we're going to live. They had all these plans around the world trip and he was leaving his retirement party and an aneurysm burst in his head in the parking lot. Meeting him in his last moments of his life. He's like, what was I doing? Like there couldn't be more consistent messages. And it's like the great news. Like we've received that, can we receive the teaching of impermanence so that we can be a little bit more lively with what's actually going on? To face the difficulty and the joy of life. To just experience it. In the early Buddhist sutra, it says, all is impermanent. And what is all that is impermanent? 
The eye is impermanent. Visual objects are impermanent. Eye consciousness, eye contact itself is impermanent. Many people say like, oh, I don't like making eye contact. Well, that's impermanent. Whatever is felt is impermanent. You know how often we attach to what we're feeling. Or I feel bad or I feel good. Whatever is felt as pleasant or unpleasant is impermanent. Pleasant or neither unpleasant, born of eye contact, is also impermanent. And likewise, this is the same for our ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind. Many people live their entire lives being ruled by some story that they think is true. It's so crazy. I did that for about 25 years. I had a very particular story about my life and who I was, and who I wasn't. Everything is impermanent. What are you grasping onto? How can you allow yourself to be free? Mm -hmm. 